From Miami Law, I'm Annette Uges, and this is The Explainer. Time, what we can all do is be suspicious of tech, right? We should never assume that any application or product or service is is meant to do us good, right? We are the products after all, so we should be very suspicious about technology. Um, of course, we're it's inescapable, and we can't just sort of pack it all in and, and not use it. But to really ask ourselves. What are the the forms of technology that I absolutely need that are essential and are are giving positive value to my life? Welcome back to the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. Last month's release of Netflix, A Social Dilemma, showed the light on the social media giant's manipulation of its users in the quest for monetization. Cyber law expert Marianne Franks examines the legal implications. Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skip with the interview. Good morning, Marianne. Thanks for coming back to The Explainer. Good morning. It's nice to be here. So I guess we should start with a quick non-spoiler about The Social Dilemma. The docudrama explores the rise of social media and the sometimes unforeseen consequences, including addiction, mental health issues, and legitimizing or normalizing conspiracy theories. First, could you talk a little about what brought you to become involved in the criminalization of so-called revenge porn or non-consensual pornography? Sure. And it really relates to exactly what this docudrama is trying to show, which is the negative effects of technology and social media on people. And this is something I've been thinking about since 1999, essentially, when I wrote my first article when I was a college junior about the internet, which at the time was still a very new medium. And I was really concerned about the ways that the instantaneous nature of the of the technology was going to maybe have some pretty negative consequences in particular for people who had already been experiencing um, discrimination and harassment, in particular women. And so I think it was on my radar as a concern in a very general sense for a while. And then, you know, fast forward many years later, when I have you know, then gone to law school, I have decided that um, a part of what I want to focus on is cyber law and the questions that arise when people are harassed or otherwise injured online. Um, that's something that I really spent some time thinking about and when I was um, just starting out as a legal scholar. And then uh, a few years ago, a woman named Holly Jacobs contacted me and said that she'd read one of my articles and was contacting me because she was a victim of what was called revenge porn or what some people call revenge porn and that she wanted to know if we could meet to talk about how to help her. And it was really from that conversation, um, even though I had been, as I mentioned, interested in these issues before, having that conversation and meeting her and seeing what this particular form of abuse had done to her life, how it had undermined every aspect of her, her, her career, her personal life, her reputation, um, simply because she had trusted someone and because like many people, um, technology was a part of their dating and relationship life. And for that to become something that could be used against a person to truly um, affect every aspect of their existence was something that I had thought about in the abstract, but was very much, um, it was a whole different experience actually watching somebody and listening to someone go through that. And part of her reason for contacting me was to ask if I would help her try to end this um, form of abuse. Because one of the things that had 
than her experience was that not only had this terrible thing happened to her, but every time she asked for help, whether that was from lawyers or from the police or even from friends and family, she was met with this um, sort of dismissive or sometimes very um, sort of victim blaming attitude that this was not a crime. This was her own fault that it happened and that the law didn't really have any role to play. And so uh, essentially what she was asking me to think about with her was, you know, does the law have a role to play here? And that was kind of where all this started. And she and I um, then developed this idea um, for the Cyber Civil Rights Initiative, which is now the nonprofit organization that I head up to think about issues like this, like non-consensual pornography and other forms of online abuse as civil rights matters and think about the way that law and technology and social norms can be changed or reformed to help people like Holly um, not have to go through that kind of, um, not only that, the the impact of the abuse itself, but also that lack of assistance, that lack of understanding to really think carefully about what the threats um, of technology really are and how technology can be used against people and to anticipate and respond to those. What a lot of the things that you're talking about are, are perpetrator base. So can we talk a little about when the perpetrator is big tech? Well, you could say that in nearly all of these cases, one of the perpetrators is big tech. Um, one of the things that I try to emphasize in my work is just how often um, or just how we need to think about these kinds of abuse in terms of how they're facilitated, how they're amplified and how they're distributed. People who want to hurt other people are always going to find ways to do so, but um, they get a lot more assistance and a lot more encouragement when you have social media platforms and other types of um, services and products that really make it possible for someone to take a bad moment or um, personal vengeance or some boredom even um, and turn that into a spectacle that millions of people suddenly um, can see. So yes, big tech and the, the role that social media platforms and search engines and the rest play in our lives, they really are part of this problem. And one of the most pressing questions for society today is how much to hold them accountable because Again, we, there's only so much we can do about people who want to hurt other people, but there should be a lot more that we can do to stop technology from assisting them in that project to destroy someone. So how do we build a legal framework for a more humane social media sphere? Well, it really starts with not treating the tech industry as if it were so different from any other industry. Uh, Lawyers especially spend a lot of time thinking about how how to regulate products, how to regulate um, behavior in all kinds of ways, right? If we think about the kinds of expectations we have for someone if they own a business, um, we're expecting them to ensure that their products are not going to be, um, that it's not foreseeable that their products are going to be used in terrible ways. We expect them to maintain premises that are safe, that do not attract um, criminal activity. We expect them to do something when um, bad things happen um, under their watch. And there's no reason that we should be treating the tech industry differently in that sense. So what we need to be doing, I'd say, is to treat the tech industry more like we treat other industries. Think about the ways that they are profiting from or benefiting from um, these uses of their products and services. Uh, that really hurt other people and expect them and finally demand of them to do something about that, to have some responsibility, because it's not enough to say that the you know reputable companies don't want this sort of thing to happen, that they don't like conspiracy theories or voter misinformation or 
um, whatever the case may be, but that they just have nothing, there's nothing that they can do about it. There is something that they can do about it, and they are responsible for the amplification and the distribution of a lot of this very um, harmful content, and we need to start holding them accountable for the role that they play. Okay. Is there any way for present-day social media with data mining and big brother algorithms to continue on as a benign presence, or does the industry just have to go back to the fork and take a new route? Or is it route? I'm never sure. I'm not sure either. Uh, but it is the case, I think, that it's such a common it's such a common telling um, of the story of tech that, you know, it started out as this really great sort of benign presence. And I think we should all at this point question that, question that story, because the story of the major influences on our lives, take Facebook for for instance, um, the story of how they be, how they came into being um, is not usually a very nice story, right? You have Mark Zuckerberg sitting in his college dorm thinking that it's appropriate and good to take people's photos without their consent and offer them up as objects to be critiqued by their peers. So the idea that this has been a benign influence or that there was ever a moment when tech was just benign, I think is, is a myth that we should really challenge um, and we should really start talking about how uh, tech has quite deliberately presented itself as a benevolent sort of force when, in fact, the evidence really does point in the other direction. And that it's been, you know, when we're talking about major social media companies and we're talking about the, the biggest forces in the Internet, you know, they've had 20 years to figure this out. And the problems that we're experiencing today are not accidents and they're not surprises they are deliberate design choices. And uh, we're in the position that we're in today because we didn't, we, I say collectively, but because they, those who control tech and, though, and legislators who have the ability to call them to um, account have failed. And it, it is a moment where we have to stop believing in the myth that tech is benevolent or that it's neutral or that everybody's just doing the best they can and they're, and they're going to try to make the best decisions possible. We have to see now that this is a pattern and practice of behavior that is at best deliberately indifferent to the harm that is being promoted um, and at worst is actively encouraging it. Okay. Are, are any parts of the solution under construction now? There's some, there are some good things to think about now. The, the, the one it's, it's hard to call it a silver lining, but the fact that so many people are now aware of and, and unfortunately touched by um, tech abuses, the fact that it affects almost everybody's life now, right? If you thought you could escape it before, the pandemic has certainly made it harder for anyone to escape the realities of social media or the realities of virtual work and virtual school and virtual socialization, um, now people can really see what the costs are. And that's good in the sense that it's waking a lot of people up to the problems. And that is um, what is necessary before we ever get reform. So it is good that what we're seeing right now is um, real calls, really sincere calls to do something now, to reform the tech industry, to rethink the legal um, um, issues that are at, at, that are at work here. So we've seen a lot of interesting things come out of Congress. Now, the, the troubling thing is that one way of telling the story is also that the what we're seeing right now is a lot of bad faith and very selfish and short-sighted interventions that are really just based on um, let's let's put it out there right that are based on the the most powerful people um, in the world um, or most powerful politically most powerful economically 
people who are upset because they're not able to harness social media totally to their ends. I mean, pretty they're able to harness it pretty well. But you've got people like President Trump who are upset that he can't use Twitter as his personal propaganda machine all the time. I mean, he gets to do it 99% of the time. But every now and again, recently, Twitter will push back and, and Facebook is starting to push back a little bit, very little and, and very late um, and, and against conspiracy theories and, and misinformation and harassment. So what's worrying me is that we are seeing calls for reform that are in truly bad faith and they're very short-sighted principles and they're really just about making false claims of conservative oppression and they're really deliberately trying to conflate issues of state action versus private action. They're deliberately trying to present the First Amendment as though um, it applies to Twitter in this way that, that would require Twitter to honor the requests or the, the preferences of, of political parties. So that's all very bad, right? That, that, that activity um, for reform is actually something we should be very cautious about. And the other downside of it is that it tends to drown out or make us suspicious of truly sincere and smart attempts to um, reform Section 230, which is the law that really allows for a lot of this to happen. So what we have to be on our guard for now is to ensure that the calls for reform are, first of all, um, rooted in solid principles of, of fairness and justice and and make sure that we're not falling into a reform trap that is really just about power, trying to get more power. But at the same time, we don't dismiss attempts to reform Section 230 or to hold the tech industry accountable, that we don't dismiss them as those bad faith political attempts, because for many years, um, principled um, experts who know about these issues and have been warning about these issues have been saying, you can't keep letting the tech industry simply do whatever it wants to do. And we have to take that seriously. So I do think that that there are some good legislative reform proposals that are in the works and that we'll see more in the next few months or so as people start to realize just how damaging um, the state of our information environment, um, how damaging it has been to have this un sort of disciplined, unregulated, just uh, everything goes um, attitude towards information, how devastating it is, not just for people's personal reputations, but for for elections, for democracy, for for social order in general. Okay, be best. <laughs> yes. So uh, speaking of people, you know, sort of uh, coming to the, the light here, uh, is there something that people should, knowing what we're now discovering, should be doing? Should they be disconnecting? Should they, I don't know, is, is there some call to action for the common man? Well, there's a lot of things people could do um, in the meantime, as we wait for the people who actually have the power and the influence to do some real things. And I'm, I'm always cautious about saying what can individuals do because this is a systematic problem and it needs a systematic solution. And so there's only so much individuals can do until something changes um, on a on a really fundamental structural level when it comes to these issues. But in the meantime, what we can all do is be suspicious of tech, right? We should never assume that any application or product or service is is meant to do us good, right? We are the products after all. So we should be very suspicious about technology. Um, of course, we're, it's inescapable and we can't just sort of pack it all in and, and not use it. But to really ask ourselves, what are the, the forms of technology that I absolutely need that are essential and are, are giving positive value to my life? Um, if, if we're scrolling on F Facebook or Twitter endlessly and we end up 
um, not doing our work or, or feeling just wretched about the state of the world to ask ourselves whether or not that's actually a good use of our time and to understand that the addictive nature of these products is intentional. Um, the, you know, it is, it's worth thinking about the analogy to, to casinos, right? Into, to, to ways that, that are trying to keep us on a platform or using a service, um, and make us miserable enough that we'll keep trying to figure out a way to feel less miserable and to just be aware of that and to, and to not give into it. And then always be aware that technology is on a really basic level can be used just as a tool, like anything else by people who want to do you harm. So be aware that if there is a person who is um, disrespectful of your boundaries or someone who has exploited you in some way, that technology is almost certainly going to play a role in their attempts to harm or, or otherwise damage you. And so to be extremely careful about that as well. And there are specific ways that we can think about that, but, but to just, as a general matter, be skeptical of technology, be aware of its power to do an extraordinary amount of harm. Hmm. Well, thanks, Marianne, for another very gloomy episode. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. <laughs> All right, my friend. Thank you so much and take good care. Thanks so much. Good to see you. Okay, bye now. Bye. Thanks for joining us at The Explainer. If you love our show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Rady Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Ugez. Today's episode is brought to you by Miami Law's graduate programs for foreign-trained law students and U.S. practitioners looking to raise their specialization. Miami Law is the perfect home for hands-on learning in a ready-made laboratory for legal training. For more information, go to law.miami.edu forward slash academics forward slash LLM. Thank you.